Jonathan, I should just have you introduce yourself since I, you know yourself better than I do. But um, I'm told uh, that Jonathan Erb is someone who has spent decades, really, sacrificing for education in the Anabaptist, church, uh, in the Anabaptist community. Um, some of that time, a lot of that time as a classroom teacher, some of that time as a curriculum representative with Christian Light. And I don't know if you still do that or not, Jonathan. You can tell us more uh, when you get started there, as you wish. But uh, really, as someone who uh, has worked to understand the history of Anabaptist education and just the range of needs that schools and teachers have. So I look forward to what you have to say today about the curriculum of the school. Uh, over to you, Jonathan. Well, thank you, Lucas. Thank you for that. Uh, yes, I've enjoyed and been blessed to be involved in the Christian Day Schools for a number of years, and I still work right now currently for Christian Light Education as a school rep here in the Western United States. Home for me is in uh, Western Montana, and I, I still uh, have a burden, a vision for the school, even though I'm no longer uh, teaching and no longer involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the school. We are going to be addressing the, the, um, the matter of curriculum. And does it matter? To, to start with, I'd like to read Proverbs 4.26, familiar verse. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. This is suggesting that we should be thinking about the life that we're living. And it's also suggesting that as we go through life, sort of as in, in trajectory, our ways are being established. And we do want God to work in all of this. We know that the best way to be established, to be established in the ways of God and according to the things of God. So this is sort of an open-ended question here in the title. Does curriculum matter? Of course, our knee-jerk response to that is why certainly it matters. And then the open-ended question, is the ladder leaning against the right wall? In other words, when we have gone through all the effort of climbing to the top of this whole thing, are we going to get to where we want to be? Is it taking us in the right direction? First question to consider is what is curriculum? Of course, the classic definition is the courses offered by an educational institution. But today we're going to be using a more expanded definition, and that is anything by which we learn. Anything by which we learn is curriculum. And so if you are seeing me here on this, uh, on this Zoom meeting, you're seeing a person in the same way that other people see you. And you are curriculum. I am curriculum. As we see each other, we observe our values and our likes and our dislikes, and students soon pick up on that, don't they? Our personal mannerisms often become copied. I can see that happening with my own children and their teachers. Our likes and our dislikes are telegraphed into the lives of your students. So curriculum is us as teachers. Curriculum is that which influences us. Of course, the public school has much curriculum that we don't want, and we think of evolution. But more, probably more uh, importantly, we should think of humanism. You can't take God out of education in the way the public school has and not replace it with something. And when God went out, why, humanism came in to fill that void. 
And as a result, now we have man himself being the new God. And it's because of that curriculum that we don't put our children on the yellow bus. And we're very concerned about the influences that uh, are out there. But we must likewise be concerned about the influences that are in our schools. So that's the concern here today. I'm going to talk about four different areas of curriculum. So the first being textbooks, which is what we think about when we think about curriculum. The second being school culture, or we could say school climate. Thirdly, our faith, our soul, and how that is curriculum. And then fourthly, we'd like to talk a bit about home values. Let's talk a bit about the actual curriculum. Every curriculum has its own worldview. And I like to illustrate that with just a few stories. I went to visit one school in my work for CLE, and the teacher said, would you look at this? And he showed me 10 sentences where the students were to be choosing adjectives. Every sentence was about the U.S. Marines. And the final, the 10th sentence, was somewhat of a grand finale type of sentence about the nobility of the U.S. Marines. We're talking about every curriculum having its own worldview. You see, there was something else being communicated there other than just the academic material of adjectives. Here's another illustration of this. At a school-related workshop, I read a portion from a well-known Christian publisher on the general theme of Christian war. And one board member, he immediately sort of perked up, woke up, and he asked, he said, what, what book are you reading from? And I told him. And his next question was not to me, but to his fellow school board member. He said, do we have that book in our school? And his fellow school board member said, yes, we do. And at that point, he sort of clamped his jaw and squeezed his wife's knee, and she gave him the look. What was happening there? Well, he was learning about curriculum and worldview. That brother realized that day the lay of the land, and I visited with him later, and he understood quite correctly that the burden of the argument about curriculum choice, it doesn't really rest with uh, Anabaptist publishers. It rests with the people that are choosing curriculum. And a third story, briefly. I know of a school this only comes to me orally, so I might not have all the details correctly. But the general idea went a little like this. There were two young men in a church community similar to yours, an Anabaptist community. They were not necessarily bad boys, but when they turned 18, together they enrolled in the U.S. Army. And when the community responded with, no, this, how can this be happening? Well, the community leaders had a frank and an humbling discussion with these two young fellows. And they said, how is it? How is it that you made this decision? And they said something like this. Well, when we were in school and we read about the Christianity of Andrew Jackson, we realized there's more than one way to live and be a Christian. Seeds were being planted. What's the title of our consideration? Does curriculum matter? Is the ladder leaning against the right wall? Think about the verse we read from Proverbs again. Ponder the path of thy feet. The Baptist Quarterly Review had an article a number of years ago titled Anabaptist Theologies of Childhood and Education. So what's happening here is we're having a third party analyze us as Anabaptists. Okay, third party perspective. This article says many inter interesting things 
about ourselves, including textbook curriculum for Anabaptist schools. And I quote, they say, it will require cohesion between curriculum content and their Anabaptist worldviews. Yes, it will. Do they have it right? Yes, they do. Our Baptist friends perhaps would be surprised that we use their curriculum and their worldviews as much as we do. Who is placing the ladder? Whose responsibility is it to place the ladder? This needs to be done through intentional boards, for sure. And in in the course of the events, perhaps we've listened to students a little too much. Perhaps we've listened to teachers a little too much. I'm not sure. Let's be sure that the right people are making curriculum decisions. Let's move to the second area of consideration, and that is school culture and climate. School culture and climate is also a force by which our students learn. They're learning through that, too. And what our students think about when they go to bed in the evening is they're not thinking about adjectives. They're thinking about questions like this. Why didn't she want to talk to me? Why doesn't Billy like me? Or how can I convince mom and dad to get me shoes like everyone else is getting? Everyone, by the way, probably meaning about three out of 30. They're thinking about questions like this. How is it that Jack always knows what is so cool? Is it true what Mark says that Jack actually gets to decide what is cool? Or maybe they're thinking about a question like this. Why didn't they like the patch on my dress? Or does it really make that much difference that our band is the oldest one in the congregation? Or maybe they're thinking things like this when they go to bed. If my brother had spent $40,000 on his pickup truck instead of just $4,000, would things be different? Would they listen to me then? Is it true that my parents don't care for me if they buy my shoes at the thrift store? You, You get what's going on. We're talking about school culture. We're talking about school climate. And it's complex. You can't go into settings and flip on and off this sort of thing. It's far more complex than that. School culture and climate includes things like heroes. Who are our heroes? What heroes are we um, promoting at school? What heroes are we promoting passively if we allow sports heroes to be pinned up on the walls or in the students' workspaces? What about speech? Speech is curriculum too. Is it okay to use substandard expressions? I think that many of us know what that is like to be among children at school, but would it be okay? I like to ask boys this question sometimes. Would it be okay to say to your father at supper time tonight? Would it be okay to say, hey, dude, pass me the mashed potatoes? What do you think your dad would think of that? How do you think he would respond? Right, we're talking about curriculum. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about school culture and school climate. Diligence. Is late work okay at your school? Did you know that in in many schools, more than 90% of the late work comes from less than 10% of the students? If your school is like that, and if you're a parent, would you like to know if your student is in the 10% group or the 90% group? 
Did you know that some schools have almost no late work at all, all year long? We're talking about curriculum. We're talking about school culture. We're talking about learning, about life, and what makes life work, right? Or attitudes about the school curriculum, attitudes about the textbook. What are you going to do, teacher? What will you do, parent, if you hear this expression? This book is dumb, so dumb. Well, those things affect our culture. Running down the textbooks is a coward's approach to difficulty. What about school attendance? This is another area of school culture where we can observe, we can see. You know, there's an unwritten curriculum in your community about how important school is compared to other options that are out there, the things that we can do with our day. It's readable in the attendance records. No, it's hardly possible to maintain good morale and, and good classroom culture on a dreary February day when there's a student or two missing because they turned into beach bum for a few days. Their desk is empty and their RV and their camp chair is loaded. That affects school curriculum. It affects culture. Right? Some of the strangest and most extensive school policies I have ever seen relate to this thing because it can be a very thorny issue and you have to define what is excused and what isn't excused and then you have to define the penalty and so on. One of the schools where I taught had a $15 a day penalty for an unexcused absence and one, one uh, student brought $180 to me to pay for their vacation. Um, it's very difficult to change a culture in relation to some of this stuff. What about your culture of giving generosity in your community? How, how, uh, how are we doing with these things that relate to culture and curriculum? Our students are learning. They are. And as, as I studied for this, I had to think about how one year when I taught, I had a classroom economy where students got paid for showing up and they had to pay their desk rent and they got paid for grades that were above their their uh, previous marking period average and so on. Well, then they would use that money when we have a classroom auction. Every so often, about every four, five, six weeks, we would have a classroom auction where they could buy all sorts of things that they themselves had brought to school, like frozen pizzas and candy bars and pop and soda and that sort of stuff. Anyway, we're talking about generosity. What I'm getting to is there was a young lady from that community that was marrying somebody from Romania. He didn't have two American nickels to rub together. That's how much money he had. And I had been feeling that I would like to help them in some way. So I told my students, I said, I will match your money, your funny money, your play money from the economic system. I will turn that into real cash. If you hand it back to me, instead of spending it at an auction. And I was impressed when they turned up, I forget what it was, it was over $800. I didn't expect it to be that much and I happily gave it. But those are things that that turned into a significant learning opportunity beyond what I was even expecting myself. And we gave them that money. Of course, I gave them the real cash to be clear here. But we're talking about culture. We're talking about curriculum. We're talking about how we learn and how we form life's values. Let's move on to the third area, and that is our faith and our soul. This is curriculum too, and, and these of course are intertwined. You see the overlap, I'm sure you do. 
G.K. Chesterton said, education is simply the soul of a society passing from one generation to the next. I, I, I changed that just very slightly. So I think it's more understandable. Education is simply the soul of a society passing from one generation to the next. As Anabaptist people, we're very concerned about this. The extreme importance of passing our soul, our very faith, our Lord Jesus Christ, to the next generation. And we know it's been firmly established from our previous generations in the last 50 years, 70 years. We know that if we send our children to Caesar, we're going to get little Romans back. We don't want that. We don't. The Roman soul will get passed into them to those who are on the roll at Roman schools. And it is sobering to realize that we can lose our moorings in merely one single generation or even less if we fail to pass our soul to um, those following us. Well, again, ponder the path of your feet, or we could say ponder the path of your school's feet. Are we passing the right things to the next generation? Have we like Noah, are we like Noah, building a house with fear or an ark to the saving of our house and becoming heir of the righteousness which is by faith? We're talking about curriculum. We're talking about some very, very serious considerations. As this observation of Chesterton, as it grips our souls, it provides power and it provides illumination for the work we face and for the questions in that work. There are some very soul-searching things that need to be done, need to be considered for the health and the wealth of our schools. And perhaps we need a rekindling of the vision uh, about these things. I would like to suggest something that uh, perhaps has been getting more uh, publicity in the recent years, and that is simply, are we in the upper grades, especially in the upper grades, are we um, using that opportunity to teach, to instill a servant heart and equip students for kingdom work according to kingdom values. You see in grades one to eight, we call those the elementary grades. And for good reason we call them the elementary grades because they teach very elementary things. But we, many of our schools are going beyond the elementary grades and our American counterparts look at those years primarily as time for college prep. Is that our primary goal, to prep for college? Well, we're not here to say that college is wrong in every situation, and we're glad for the contribution of those who do study beyond the 12th grade and the contribution to our lives and so on, and even in our own conservative communities. We're glad for that. But are we creating and equipping a servant heart? What is determining the course of study, the curriculum for your high school grades, especially beyond uh, ninth grade and beyond is what we're looking at here. Would the Anabaptist vision dictate a more aggressive or a more overt training for the kingdom? Does curriculum matter? Is the latter leading against the right wall? And if you want to explore this further, I would recommend um, two topics that Patrick Keatwall gave, uh, both of them available on the dock. The one is equipping servants in high school. 
equipping servants in high school. The other is teaching and training for service. It's those concepts that, are, uh, that we've just been talking about that he develops much, much further. All right, let's go to the fourth area of curriculum. Our final area that we're going to address, that is the home values about education and child training. That creates a curriculum too, and it does interact with our schools. It does. How our homes regard curriculum, whether it's a high view or whether it's a not, a not so high, a low view, why that determines a lot of what gets done and what happens at our schools. Are they academic in nature? Are they friendly towards academics and so forth? We can observe the results of a few key areas to know where we come on this continuum of regard for Christian education. But we already talked about school attendance. We already talked about unfinished work. But there's other things such as general diligence in the home. As an Anabaptist people, our, our uh, transition off the family farm and into somewhat of a comparative, comparatively suburban lifestyle, that, is, uh, that has happened quite uh, thoroughly. It's the times in which we live. So what about diligence when it relates to washing or vacuuming the family van? Or what about the use of the lawnmower or the use of the weed eater? Or what about here in the Pacific Northwest? What about uh, raking the pine straw or shoveling the snow or picking the stones out of the yard from last uh, winter's snow plowing? Does it happen? What about the tangle of garden hoses? What about the use of the dishwasher? What about house cleaning? What about teaching how to sew, how to cook, how to can? What about the care of animals? A great question for our children would be, would you be a happy chicken? If you were one of your chickens, you know, that type of thing. You know, busy people need to choose priorities. They do. We understand that. But I am appealing to parents here. What are you choosing for your family? Being proactive while your children are young is like directing that softball while it's climbing up and out fast, moving along. Um, sets a trajectory for the rest of life. We don't need to live from crisis to crisis. We shouldn't. We can't, in fact. That's living reactively. Let's try to live proactively so that we can get better results and intentional results. What goals do you have in mind for your children regarding work, regarding church, regarding school, and ethics, right? There's some things with which the school cannot compete. And I'm thinking of things like inherent laziness. I'm thinking of things like YouTube. I'm thinking of things like excessive interest in sports and critical attitudes towards authority. These are things that are, are uh, moving us in our communities in ways that aren't always so healthy. And I would just encourage each one of us here in your own way, where you can, to influence towards better things. Well, let's pull together to create an environment for successful child rearing, child training, so that the right things happen at school. The things that we want to happen and know should be happening, but perhaps are easy to just sort of forget about. I'd like to read in conclusion two more, um, two more selections here. The one is Isaiah 26.2 and the other is a short story with which I will conclude making no further comment. 
But Isaiah 26, 2 says, Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. I like that verse. I like the forward look. I like what's happening in that verse. The gates of heaven itself are being opened, and there's a righteous nation of people moving in that have kept the truth. And would to God that it would be children that are today entering into our classrooms and are part of our Christian schools. What a day that will be. And I, re, I uh, identify with the author of the old Negro spiritual, Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. But you know, I want more than just me to be in that number. I want it to be people that I influenced through curriculum. Does curriculum matter? Is the ladder leaning against the right wall? Is it Jacob's ladder, if you would, where the top itself is in heaven? Now, one more story. Thanks for joining us for this topic and for this consideration. When I'm done, I'm going to turn the time over again to Lucas. Years ago, a bad blizzard was blowing in the eastern U.S. All transportation was becoming difficult. On a certain train rode a woman with a very young child. She was quite concerned about getting off at the right station. Realizing her anxiety, a gentleman said, Don't worry. I know this route quite well, and I'll tell you when to get off at your station. In due time, the train stopped at the station just before the one at which the woman wanted to get off. The next station will be yours, ma'am, said the gentleman. Then, then they went on, and in a few minutes, the train stopped again. Now's your time, ma'am. Get out quickly. He said, the station is quite small, and we will not be here long. So the woman took up her child, and thanking the man, left the train. At the next stop. The brakeman called out the name of the station where the woman had wished to get off. But, but you have already stopped at this station, called the man to the brakeman. No, sir, he replied. Something was wrong with the engine back there, and we stopped for a few moments to repair it. Elias, cried the passenger, I put that woman off in the storm when the train stopped between stations. Afterwards. They found her with her child in her arms, both frozen to death. I'm just going to keep on reading. It does draw some conclusions. What a terrible and tragic consequence of wrong directions being given. To live among others is to hold responsibility, for it's impossible to live without influencing, in some way, those around us. This is something all of us should think seriously about, whether we be youth or aged. Our actions and their resulting influence must be evaluated according to these two questions. What does God think of it? And is it in strict accordance with his work and will? If we do not evaluate according to these two important questions, tragic results will follow. It is tragic to unwittingly guide a woman and her child to their deaths in a storm. But it is worse to influence a person towards eternal damnation. Let us be diligent that our directions, our lives, lead to life and not to death. Does curriculum matter? Is the ladder leaning against the right wall? Thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan. I, uh, 
I've, I heard you asking repeatedly asking the question, does it matter? And I think we all would say, yes, of course, it matters. Um, some part of it matters. Uh, but maybe the part that other people have responsibility for matters to us. And uh, we don't consider sometimes the, the rest of the curriculum. So whether it's the textbook, whether it's the way we allow the children or ourselves to talk, or really whether it's the way we keep our yard. I just found that my toes kept getting bruised, Jonathan, and I appreciate it um, because you didn't just remind us of the, of, of the, all the aspects that matter, but you remind us, reminded us why they matter. Um, so thank you for lifting up that vision and for reminding us of the influences on our children. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.